0: Welcome to another Freshfields Tax Matters podcast. I'm Josh Critchlow with the London Tax Team. Today we're looking at the growing trend of countries imposing new kinds of digital taxes and the reaction in international trade terms from the US which views these taxes as unfairly targeting its big tech companies. After initially threatening trade penalties, the US has now agreed a deal with several countries that the US will terminate trade actions subject to the removal of those countries' digital services taxes alongside the implementation of the OECD's Pillar 1 proposals. But will this deal represent a lasting peace? To help us map out this tax and trade battleground, I'm joined by tax experts, Katy Kubik, Bryn Rajathurai, as well as international trade expert, Laurent Bartels. Hello, everyone.
1: Hi. Hi, Josh. Hi.
0: Kati, to start us off, could you tell us what has been happening so far?
1: Sure. Thanks, Josh. So uh, back in 2018, the EU proposed a draft for a DST, Digital Services Taxes, directive, which was never agreed upon due to the direction of travel at OECD level, an attempts to find an international solution to taxing the digitalized economy, all of which has now developed into the Pillar 1 and Pillar 2 proposals. Austria, which back then held the presidency of the European Council, however, decided to go along with implementing its national DST itself, which entered into force on 1st January 2020. In essence, it taxes online advertising by online advertisers if they exceed certain turnover thresholds. The tax amounts to 5% of the receipts. Now, due to the high thresholds and some exemptions in the law, It was pretty clear, and maybe even intended if one reads statements by back then Austrian Chancellor and Finance Minister, that such DST would only burden non-Austrian online advertisers. Whereas other countries either postponed actually levying their DST or its enactment, Austria carried out both, enactment and levying the tax with the targeted technology firms very publicly passing on those costs to their online advertising customers.
0: Thanks, Cathy. And with these mostly U.S. technology firms that were affected by this Austrian digital services tax?
1: Yes, and this is actually what prompted the U.S. to initiate a so-called Section 301 investigation under U.S. trade law into Austria's DST, alongside other prominent countries such as the U.K., France, Italy and Spain. This investigation by the US Trade Representative concluded in early 2021 and found that Austria's DSC and also others to be discriminatory in terms of the US Trade Act. Retaliatory measures in the form of US tariffs on Austrian products achieving an equivalent burden were identified. However, their levying was postponed to allow an agreement to be reached at OECD level on the Pillar 1 and Pillar 2 proposal I mentioned before. Now, since such agreement at OECD level was achieved among more than 130 countries globally in October, such uh, agreement also included the commitment by countries to either remove existing unilateral DSTs or not introduce new ones. Following this announcement at the beginning of October now, the United States, Austria, France, Italy, Spain, and the United Kingdom entered into an agreement with regard to their specific unilateral DSTs. This agreement now includes a withdrawal of unilateral measures, including the Austrian and some other European DSTs, once Pillar 1 takes effect. And in the interim period, so meaning between first January twenty twenty two and the taking effect of Pillar One or December twenty twenty three at the latest, MEs in scope of both the unilateral DSTs, so for example the Austrian DST and Pillar One will in the first year in effect receive a credit for the DSTs they pay in the respective countries against their Pillar One burden. MEs that are not in scope of Pillar 1 will, however, remain subject to unilateral DSTs under Pillar 1 until it actually takes effect.
0: Thanks, Cathy. So the US got very close to imposing trade penalties against Austria and those other European countries because of their digital services taxes. And specifically, the US was going to launch something called a Section 301 action. Iran is this something that you would call a trade dispute? And is the US allowed to respond to European digital services taxes in this way? Well, this
2: has all the makings of a classic trade dispute. And in fact, maybe even more than one trade dispute. So first of all, there's the US Section 301 action, which Cathy was talking about. And here it's important to say that the US may well have legitimate grievance, and I'll say something about that in a moment, but it can't react in this way. The WTO dispute settlement system was established in 1995 precisely to prevent unilateral actions like Section 301 actions. In fact, it was targeted at the US's use of Section 301 during the 1980s. Now, since 1995, the US didn't get rid of Section 301, but it essentially promised that it wouldn't use Section 301. And this continued pretty much until the Trump administration decided to challenge the whole basis of the WTO system, and in particular, its dispute settlement system. So what this means is that if the US does adopt retaliatory measures, as it was proposing to do against Austria, as Kathy was mentioning, without challenging the DSTs through the WTO legal system, it violates a WTO rule itself. Now, this is all on hold with the OECD agreement, but it's worth bearing in mind this background if that agreement, the OECD agreement falls. But leaving this aside, let's talk about uh, briefly the question whether the US uh, could have a legitimate grievance under WTO trade law, and it might. I would say there are two main questions that need to be asked to understand this. The first is whether DSTs discriminate against US firms compared to those from other countries. Of course, I'm talking about the DSTs that we know about uh, to date, the Austrian one, uh, for, for example. Well, what's important to know about discrimination in trade law is that it doesn't have anything to do with intention. Obviously, if there is an intention to discriminate, and if in particular politicians say that this is the intention of their DST to discriminate, in this case, against US companies, then that doesn't help. But the legal test is really simply this, whether... If you look at the effects of a digital services tax in this particular case, predominantly it is US firms that are being targeted. And if this is the case, which uh, it seems to be the case with the DSTs we're talking about, this would mean that there's a violation of the GATT's most favoured nation obligation, at least. And there might also be other obligations implicated as well, but at least the Most Favoured Nation obligation. But this is only the first question. The the second question is whether the DSTs can be justified, because there are important public policy exceptions to all of the WTO obligations. Now, GATS has an exception to the MFN, Most Favoured Nation Non-Discrimination Obligation, the one I was just talking about, for double taxation agreements, The reason for that is essentially it's a question of demarcation. There are already double taxation agreements that deal with that and so we don't want the WTO or 1995, the idea was let's not have the WTO muscling in on that. Um, That can be dealt with in its own forum. But the DSTs don't fall under double taxation agreements. So that's is an exception that doesn't necessarily apply. It's not the end of the story because you might say that DSTs are necessary to ensure that tech companies pay their fair share uh, with domestic tax systems. And it is a legitimate exception or, or justification of a tax system to have an ordinary tax law. But this is a difficult argument to make in this particular context. Anyway, now that Austria and the US and others have signed up to the OECD agreement, it is hard to see the US taking their trade challenge against Austria any further from a domestic point of view, if all goes to plan.
0: Thank you, Laurent. So in principle, digital taxes could be challenged under WTO trade principles, if they were both, as you say, discriminatory and also unjustified. Um, And whilst you've got Austria, France, Italy, Spain and the UK all signing a deal with the US, essentially to remove their digital services taxes, there are some countries that weren't part of that deal. Bryn, could you tell us a bit more about those?
3: Yes, thanks, Josh. So in addition to Austria, France, Italy, Spain and the UK, Turkey and India were also subject to a USTR investigation. Although these two countries weren't covered by the October agreement with the US, they have subsequently entered into separate agreements with the US. There are, of course, also countries that have a DST or are thinking about introducing a DST that haven't yet become subject to a USTR investigation. In terms of the US agreement with Turkey, this is apparently on the same terms as the agreement with the European countries that Katty discussed. That said, it's clear that reaching this agreement has not all been plain sailing. There's a statement in the U.S. Treasury press release that the U.S. and Turkey will remain in close contact to ensure that there's a common understanding of their respective commitments under this agreement and endeavour to resolve any further differences of views on this matter through constructive dialogue. Even more interesting is the position on the Indian digital tax, which takes the form of an equalisation levy. The USTR investigation was into the version of this that was introduced in 2020, which applies at a rate of 2% to a broad range of digital services. So the recent agreement between the US and India has the same wording as the Turkey agreement about endeavouring to resolve differences of views, but it's clear there's potentially more to be resolved here, with the final terms on the US-India deal still to be agreed. They've set themselves a deadline of February 2022 and agreed that the interim period won't kick in until April 2022. One of the reasons that the Indian equalisation levy is worth keeping an eye on is that there's a specific exemption from the levy for Indian companies and those with an Indian permanent establishment. And this makes it particularly offensive as far as the US is concerned.
0: Yes, that that does sound quite brazenly discriminatory.
3: Yes, Josh. And the USTR investigation actually found that although the Indian levy potentially applies to all non-Indian digital services companies, of the 119 companies that are likely to be subject to the levy, 86 of these were US companies, and the next biggest were the UK and China, which each had seven companies in scope. So yes, it does seem openly discriminatory with a seemingly disproportionate impact on US firms. It also has a much lower revenue threshold than other digital taxes that we've seen. The threshold is set at U.S. dollars Given the explicit exemption for Indian companies, India didn't feel the need to include a high threshold. The result of this, though, is that even those with a relatively low amount of Indian-based revenues would have to deal with these rules, which is a bit of a nightmare from a compliance perspective.
0: And Laurent, what would happen if the US was not able to agree final terms with India by February? So this is pretty
2: much a continuation of what I was describing earlier in that we might see what would have happened to Austria, the UK, France, Italy and Spain in the absence of the OECD agreement, which we now have before us. The US cannot act unilaterally via Section 301 without violating the WTO rule that all WTO violations need to be taken to the WTO dispute settlement system. You can't act unilaterally. But on the other hand, the US might well have a point in terms of discrimination and the difficulty on the part of those uh, implementing digital services taxes of finding a proper exception that can justify them. So there is real potential for some trade disputes on these digital taxes down the road.
1: And from what we understand, it's not just Indian. The concept of digital services taxes is very popular. And there are a number of other countries which are actually looking at these taxes, but which were not subject to USDR investigations yet, for example, Belgium and New Zealand. Yes. And
3: whether any of these other taxes will survive will depend on what the OECD says about which digital taxes have to go. As Cathy mentioned earlier, part of the October agreement is that digital services taxes and relevant similar measures have to be withdrawn. We're still waiting for the OECD to set out exactly which measures will fall within this. We're expecting this as part of the multilateral convention that's being developed next year. Some administrations are already looking to test the boundaries and formulating new types of taxes that they hope will fall outside the scope of the OECD prohibition. For instance, the UK is toying with a new online sales tax, We don't have details of this yet, but we are expecting a consultation on this soon. What we do know is that this is expected to be a levy on online sales rather than on digital businesses.
1: And linking to this, Bryn, another interesting avenue in these discussions is definitely the EU digital levy, which the EU intends to implement to fund its own resources and fill up its coffers after the pandemic. In light of the OECD discussions, this plan has been repeatedly postponed, but it is expected to be similar a low-value, non-discriminatory tax on goods and services sold online with a low, we've heard about 50 million euros, revenue threshold. In spite now of the OECD agreement, it looks like these plans have not yet been shelved and we're waiting to see the proposal on this.
0: Interesting. So we could see the EU and the UK abandoning their original digital services taxes in light of the OECD Pillar 1 agreement and the deal with the US only then to introduce a different kind of online sales tax. Laurent, where does this leave us from a trade perspective? Are we just going to see the cycle of tax and trade wars repeated?
2: The DSTs that we were talking about before did have some fairly clear discriminatory characteristics in that if you look at... Uh, overall, the digital services companies, which would be subject to this tax from different countries, from India, for instance, versus those from the US, versus those from other countries, that more from the US, proportionately, would be hit than those from other countries. And with the Indian tax, it was uh, it was an exemption, so none of the Indian companies. So there's a problem Problem there with discrimination. But the question now is, is there any way of imposing a digital services tax in a way that would survive WTO scrutiny? One way, of course, is that you make sure that there is absolutely no discrimination. But let's assume that you're dealing with thresholds. I think this is really the, the key issue. Now, in trade law, it is permissible to tax companies in general, and it is permissible to tax companies in an entire sector without taxing companies in other sectors. So you can tax digital companies and not tax uh, mining companies. This is all accepted. The problem is that when you tax companies in a particular sector based on an arbitrary threshold, and that then, because of the arbitrariness, has the additional effect of dramatically hitting companies from a particular country, then you run into both discrimination and the difficulty of saying that the threshold is important. Uh, some companies on the top of the threshold get hit, those under the threshold don't get hit. How do you deal with an arbitrary threshold of that kind? So if the threshold is low, and then roughly the same proportion of companies from different origins are hit by the tax, then there is unlikely to be discrimination. But also, if there is discrimination, it's also more likely that the EU can say that some arbitrariness is permitted simply due to administrative exigencies. I mean, you do need to draw lines in order to administer a legal system. So there is a little bit of flex there, although there haven't been cases on this, I should say. This is uh, something which I think is generally understood to be permissible. So tax systems, to summarise, do not need to be perfect, but they do need to be no more discriminatory than necessary. And I'm not sure that we've got that with the DSTs we've seen to date. We may see that with the EU's model.
0: Thank you. So countries looking to push ahead with new digital or online taxes outside of those OECD agreements will need to look very carefully at how those taxes are structured. But for now, at least, the agreement to remove DSTs in line with the implementation of Pillar 1 probably represents a roadmap for trade peace for the countries that have signed up.
3: Well, Josh, one final thing we should mention is that all this assumes that the US can get the OECD agreement through Congress. Even though the Biden administration actively supports the OECD plans, it's by no means a done deal that this can be implemented into US law. So this could throw a spanner in the works. In particular, Pillar 1, which is intended to replace all the unilateral digital taxes, challenges fundamental tax principles that rely on physical presence in a jurisdiction to determine taxing rights. Those principles are implemented in US tax treaties, changes to which are subject to a constitutional requirement that they have to be approved by two-thirds of the Senate. Even though the Democrats have a slim majority at the moment, getting two-thirds support even for the most basic changes to treaties has been very challenging in the past. There are, though, other options that are being explored, one of which is implementing Pillar 1 by way of Congressional Executive Agreements.
2: I think we can also look at this in a broader context. The US has a long history of signing up to and even writing multilateral agreements that then don't get past Congress or indeed are never put to Congress because it is understood that they won't get past Congress. Uh, Some examples, the original International Trade Organization in 1947 from which GATT was extracted or the International Criminal Court some 50 years later. These are agreements which the US essentially, well, either wrote or had a heavy hand in writing, and which simply didn't get through or weren't going to get through Congress. And there are many others as well. But because of this, there have been some workarounds that have been devised in the past. So, one is to Provisionally apply the agreement. This is a a trick, a technique, which exists under international treaty laws in the Vienna Convention on the Law of Treaties. And essentially, what you say is that you, as a state, will pretend that the agreement is in force even though it is not. In force. Now, the main value of doing this is it means that you don't need to ratify the agreement, which means you don't need to run it through your domestic constitutional system. In the case of the US, you don't need to present the agreement to the Senate. And this was done, in fact, with the GATT, which, as I said, was extracted from the International Trade Organization in 1947, and it was provisionally applied by all GATT contracting parties, including the United States, until the establishment of the World Trade Organization in 1990. Five. But I'm skeptical that this could be done these days. I think that Congress would probably say, and uh, legitimately, that this would be a subversion of its constitutional functions. Another option is the executive agreement route that Bryn mentioned. So executive agreements are a bit different. They don't have formal treaty status under US law, and therefore they can be adopted under US law without putting it to Congress. But this also raises questions from a US constitutional point of view about whether doing something like an OECD agreement as an executive agreement would be a subversion of the Senate's constitutional powers. I know that this is a question that has already been raised within the United States. There is even uh, you know, academic writing on the point, pointing out the difficulties from a constitutional perspective of treating the OECD agreement as an executive agreement. But maybe this can be tried. We don't know. But I think on the whole, uh, given these difficulties, we really shouldn't be too confident that the US will end up signing up to the OECD agreement.
0: So countries looking to push ahead with new digital or online taxes outside of those OECD agreements will need to look very carefully at how those taxes are structured But for now, at least, the agreements to remove digital services taxes in line with the implementation of Pillar 1 probably represents a roadmap for trade peace for those countries that have signed up. I'm sure we'll be keeping an eye on those developments, as well as on any countries that are intent on retaining their digital service taxes or introducing new taxes in this area. Thank you to all our guests, Katie Kubik, Lauren Bartels and Bryn Rajathurai. And if listeners would like more information on trade wars and digital taxes, please check out the Freshfields website or get in touch with your usual Freshfields contact.